welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio. Pink Elephants podcast for the IT management community. Hey, this is episode 44. It's Chris Dancy and I'm here with... Troy Dumoulin. Hey, Chris. Hi, Troy. Gosh, it seems like Ray Garrett was just yesterday and then after Ray... Well, we had Gary Case slide in there for his root cause and major incident discussion, right? It's like one brilliant celebrity after another. Before we get to these celebrities, shout out to Gregory Bayless Hall out of the UK. Sent out a very nice message the other day saying how much he enjoyed practitioner radio. I think he said it was uh, like having his own, I don't know, consulting or I can't remember how he phrased it, but it was very, very nice. It's like having my very own podcast mentor series. <laughs> really good ITSM stuff, wise and trusted. So obviously he only listens to your track, Troy. Well. And uh, <laughs> it can be debated. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be debated, especially because you know your, your pop references. And then, of course, obviously that on the back of that was... Uh, Tobis uh, Nyberg out of Sweden. Uh, so it's a cavalcade. We've got Canada, the UK, Sweden, and of course, the US here. I, do you think we could summon an even further place in the world today, Troy? Could we try to summon someone even further away? Well, I think we can kind of go to the other side of the world and bring forth a guest, which is, I'm sure, to excite and bring interest. So probably one of the earliest fans of Practitioner Radio, and, and this means the world to me because he's written about it and he's mentioned it online and he's told me in person how much he enjoys the show, is Mr. Rob England, who's here to talk to us today about Standard and Case. Hello, Rob. Hey there. How you doing, guys? Oh, coming to you from the last rock on the planet. That's right. <laughs> the last rock on the planet where the, the manholes smoke with, uh, with, with the vapor from the thin crust. That's right, yeah. <laughs> It is a bit thin you know, at the you're moment. You're on a volcano down there. You ever worry about that? Oh, hell yeah. We're having a slip, what is it, a slow slip earthquake at the moment. We're having a Richter 7 earthquake, except that it takes months, so you don't feel it. That's usually called Chris hasn't had enough to eat or sleep and he has to present That's in five right. minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Rob, uh, it means the world to me. You have mentioned Practitioner Radio uh, on your blog a few times, and I think you might be a, a fan. Could I say you're a fan? Oh, I love this show. I, I, you know you know me, I, I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts. So I, I don't have time to consume media, but this is one that I... In fact, this is the only one that I listen to religiously. <laughs> don't even, you probably don't even listen to your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's different. That's ego. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's ed- editorial comment. That's right. Uh, uh, editorial. Uh, yeah. But I, I used to, well, I, I followed Rob before I knew he was Rob. You know, I was looking at that the, the guy with the bag over his head who was so bold <laughs> and daring to say all those things about the House of Vital. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're always in amazed awe he would say those things that he would say. And to kick things off today, a uh, happy birthday, Rob. You just celebrated seven years as the IT skeptic. That's right. Back uh, just a couple of weeks ago, May 16, I think, seven years. That's amazing. And then uh, as, as happenstance would have it, Troy, you started blogging the same year. Is that not correct? October 2006. That's right. So there you go. Could you guys have imagined this much change in seven years? I couldn't have imagined this much change and I couldn't have imagined still doing it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, this carousel hasn't stopped. 
It's just seeming to speed up, actually. So, Rob, um, we're here to talk to you today about Standard and Case. And I did a little research before the show because I'm kind of a junkie that way. Uh, Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud, um, had approximately uh, 55, count them, 55 years worth of research into psychoanalysis. In that 55 years, uh, he had a very limited number of actual publications. Freud's publications compared to your blogs and actual publications, you outpace Freud. <laughs> Interesting person to compare me to, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Why, are you accusing him of Freudian slips? Is that what you're <laughs> no, I just... Or is there a mother issue going on Sometimes here? Sometimes <laughs> a cigar is just a cigar is my favorite Freud quote. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but my point is, when I was getting ready for the show, I don't think most people realize you have such a vast body of work. It's not just the blog. You've got multiple books. I think I own them all. But uh, how many... But standard cases bought your... Fifth book? Number seven. seven. Number seven. I was counting up the other day, 1,100 blog posts, 100 published articles, seven books now. I guess it's almost a compulsion. I just love to communicate. So when I was going through and, 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 and trying to figure out who had more published work, you were Freud. You literally do have more published work than Freud, <laughs> which says something about IT and psychology. Um, standard and case is something we've been kind of talking about on the show here and there. And it, actually two weeks ago, I said, why don't we get Rob England on to talk about this? The book's out now. There's a link in the show notes. You can find the show notes over on pinkelephant.com under Troy's blog. Uh, you can find them over on Servicer. Obviously, you can go to the itskeptic.com and find, is it .com? I don't know. It's on my bookmarks. Oh, .org, but they both resolve. Yep. Yeah, they both resolve. Um, and get the book there. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. But we wanted to talk about this today because we've had Ray Garrett come on to talk a little bit about culture. Uh, we, we, Troy and I talked a little bit about uh, major incident uh, versus problem. Then we had, or that was with Gary. We, we've covered a lot of stuff. And on that show, we actually talked about well, well, wait a minute. It isn't if the issues with an incident that is a major incident or an issue that happens a lot, isn't a, it, couldn't we say we need to look at how we manage cases or problems or incidents in a, in a certain way? And I said, well, but this is kind of some things are happen the same way all the time and some things are very special and specialized and that kind of goes into how people get treated, which boom. Wait, this is a standard in case talk. So for those in the audience who aren't familiar, because our audience is really hardcore ITSM, ITIL practitioners. Could you give us a primer, a good two-minute primer on standard and case for the layman, and then we'll dive into some deep questions from the book. Sure. So the idea came to me a while ago when I heard about case management, and case management is a body of knowledge like service management that exists on its own, independent of IT, where people think about how you manage cases, like police cases, legal cases, medical cases, social work cases, cases. And Charlie Betts mentioned it, and I went, wow, you know, we've got service management within IT that we now draw on quite a bit and, and exploit and leverage, but we don't actually, well, certainly I hadn't seen a lot of people talking about case management as a body of knowledge that we could draw on and exploit and and, and leverage for our own use. And, and so let's have a look at this, this could be a good tool. And then the next big click kapow was to think exactly what you said, Chris, that the work that we do in service management is about trying to standardise the world. If you look at CMM and and Lean and Six Sigma and all of those bodies of thought, they're all saying, make it defined, make it standard, make it repeatable, and then start optimising it, squeezing the juice out of it, You know, getting more efficient, more effective. The, we're trying to standardise the world and, and the world doesn't 
always behave that way. And, and so the case management is this fantastic tool for dealing with all the other stuff, all the stuff that keeps falling out of that, that standardised world. So if you put standard and case together, then you've got the yin and yang of how we deal with situations, how we deal with the world, how we respond, whether it's incidents, requests, changes, auto accidents, it doesn't matter what we're responding to. When we respond, we either respond in a standardized way or we respond by managing it as a case. In episode 18 of Practitioner Radio, Troy, you and I talked a little bit about quality systems over frameworks. And in that episode, uh, Troy, you kind of walked me through the idea of a highly customizable, bespoke object you create every time or systems with you know very little bottleneck. And you explained a lot of stuff to me. Do you remember that show, Troy? Yeah, we were talking about uh, quality systems in the relationship to continual improvement, like so Landu, yep. Check Act, or Demaic, or you know the pl- improvement model in ITIL. They basically all say the same thing, get into this ongoing navel-gazing process and keep looking at getting better. So this is still, though, a framework. When we talk about case management, it's not so much a quality system. It's just a framework that has more flexibility in it. And it, it's good because it gives you some latitude, but still some some base policy under which you still have to operate. You're still not free and footloose and let, no, not not held accountable. I thought it was brilliant because when um, when I read Rob's book, he gave me an early copy kind of to review. For me, there's always been spots in ITIL where it kind of just drops off a cliff, right? So you're going, and this is where our show last week with Gary was all about, you're you're heading towards problem management, and all of a sudden you've got to do some deep analysis, and you don't know when you're coming out of this, right? So on a flow, it's kind of like all this detailed flow activity and a process flow, and suddenly it says, revere to the right. <laughs> and then you come out of this kind of nebulous box at some point, and it's very difficult to kind of figure out what goes on in there. Uh, the same thing happens with a... a a non-standard request, right? Go into this box and don't come out until you figure out what you're doing. Disaster recovery, crisis situation you're managing, all of these things. You know, there's this box on a flow, but there's no detail. It's kind of like those old BAPs, you know, from the pirate days when you'd get to the edge of the map and there wouldn't be much detail beyond <laughs> it and it would say, here, here be where dragons are. <laughs> Go there on your own, <laughs> own risk. Rob, uh, if you can get Troy to do a pirate voice on your show, you've really succeeded where no man has Arr. before. <laughs> <laughs> here they be dragons are. <laughs> what I meant by that, why, why the book reminded me of that show, Troy, was because in that show you introduced me to the concept of when you're working with these systems and you're creating, you know, process flows or, or services or you're taking any type of work product, that it really schisms either way, right? And it's and it's and it becomes very you know heavy and and and, and covered in stuff. Or you you optimize it so that the, you know the throughput is because you, know, you taught me about taproot and a bunch of other things in that show. And, and standard and case really kind of to me, even though you're, I understand what you're saying, but it's not a framework. I, it always felt like to me like oh, it's it's an option, right? This because it seems to me at its root. And Rob, you correct me because it's your book. But to me, at its root, it's about dealing with like you know I'm a special little snowflake, and no, you're not. Like and 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 finally, you can go either route. Well, well, what what I've said in in the book is that with request management, if somebody comes in and says I'm a special little snowflake, then it depends on the individual. So one of the things I've suggested in the book is an idea which I got from Chris in discussions a, a, few, a couple of years ago was around you know we certify our responders 
to various levels of expertise, and I talk about that a lot in the book, mm-hmm. you know, that you've got to level up to being a caseworker. You don't, you've got to earn the right to, to be dealing with the interesting cases. But Chris, you suggested a while ago, why don't we certify users as well? Why can't I be certified to come <laughs> in and say, damn it, I know what I'm talking about. Get out of my way, punk, and let me through to to an expert who I can have a proper conversation with. So I talk about in the book that model that that you can do that. So in terms of standard plus case, if you're not a special little snowflake, if you're just Joe user coming in with a request, then you come in through standard and you get gated through all the standard stuff. Is it one of these? Is it one of these? Oh, I'm sorry, you're not in our request catalog. Now I'll refer you to a caseworker to evaluate whether we can deal with your request or not. You have to go through that standard gating first, but if you certify up, you come in and say, hey, here's my badge to say that I'm actually an expert user, then the possibility exists in certain organisations to go straight to case if you've got the budget to do that kind of thing, to say, hey, you're a special user, we'll take you through to a caseworker. Which I really loved because I thought it answered two very polarising questions in our industry today. Uh, Well, probably multiple, but, but some of them are, People saying, "Where you know? How do we demonstrate value?" People saying we need to be customer centric. Uh, people saying that IT is dead and it's con- all the fud and all the craziness that we hear today. And what I, you know, again, what I loved about that is in when we, you know I remember that conversation was when I have frustrations with tech and I actually have to deal with these systems and these people. I do feel like a specialist snowflake because it's not that I'm smarter, but I really did do some work before I called. And if I, I feel my frustration, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but some people's frustration with tech comes from being forced through standard when we do standard before we pick up the phone. Okay, but there's a couple of key thoughts here I want to build on. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's two things you said, two key thoughts, and they're a bit different. One is that to actually truly know when it is appropriate to use a case approach you have to have first define your standard approaches first, right? Because other, otherwise everything is case and there's, we're just back to, you know, everything is chaos. There is no optimization possible because everything is custom. That's called outside-in thinking, by the way. All right. <laughs> but the reality is before I can say I'm a special snowflake, I have, to have, I have had to have defined what standard snowflakes look like. Right. Otherwise, everything is special. Right. So that's one kind of dependency in my view here. And but the key is that you can't. Not everything is standard. That was Rob's point earlier. And eventually, you're going to hit a scenario you haven't seen before. And now it's really appropriate and necessary to use a case management approach. Okay, that's key. The other thing is not everyone is equipped and skilled to be a case worker. Hmm. Uh, you don't take any, you know, John, Mary, whatever, and say, congratulations, you get to work outside of the normal bounds of standard. Especially if your name is John Mary. <laughs> John Mary. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you really don't. But <laughs> right? We don't trust anyone with our case approach because there's it, a lot more latitude there, let's face it. And you probably have a case if your name is John Mary. So. <laughs> Just take the... the the criminology field, right? If you start as a cop on the beat and you start in a car and you do your time and then you've got to actually pass certain entrance exams, practical, written, and psychological, all of the above, before they become you become a detective, an advanced criminologist, right? You have to have proved yourself to actually go to that level. You just can't enter as a detective. But 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 to Rob's point, there is if you're a serial killer, let's go now to the other side of that equation. And you've got a pattern of killing people. The minute you kill enough people, 
Regular cops don't touch that case. The caseworkers do. That's right. That's the accreditation part for the end user. It's an extreme example of it, yeah. It's an extreme <laughs> example, yes. The Standard Plus case uh, does offer us a model to deal with that, Chris, with the with, uh, different ways that we interact with the user. But primarily the focus is internal. So, you know, me, I'm not going to get suckered by the outside, the cult of outside in. It does give us a model to deal with that, but primarily the focus is internal. And it's around the fact that in, uh, historically we've focused on standard and we've optimised standard. And as Troy said, when you're following the process for an incident or a request or a problem, there's a box in there that says, and a miracle occurs, you know, go off and resolve it, <laughs> right? You know, Here there be dragons. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, you get to this the, to the resolve step in every process, and it is the resolve step, and it goes, or maybe the diagnose step, and it just goes, we don't know, there's a box here where you go for some undefined time and work it out, and that's the case bit, right? And, and we don't optimise that because we don't formalise that. We try and almost pretend it's not there a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so we're so busy optimising just the standard part. And so the incident report comes out at the end of the month and there's all these incidents that have been running for three months or, or six months and everyone gets slapped around the head. What's wrong with you people that you can't resolve these incidents? Where, where it's not their fault. It's because those incidents are not standardised incidents. They're unknown, unfamiliar, weird things that people are trying to get a handle on and it takes time. And, and yet we try and report them as standard incidents and we try and deal with them the same way. We, we, dealt, we talked about this with Gary last week and I guess I just want to put you on the spot just because that show is out by the time this show is out so people would have heard of both. How would you, remember I'm always learning on the show, how, what's the difference between uh, a case and a problem? Ah, that is a really interesting question and the difference is subtle. So I know there are incidents that are standard and case and there are problems that are standard and case and they're not quite the same thing. Mm. Okay. So <laughs> so it becomes a case when we realize that it's unknown or unfamiliar, okay? And so we've got to go and work it out. And the difference is that as we work it out, it could be unfamiliar, meaning we, we find, uh, it could be unknown, meaning we don't have enough information to know what's going on. And as we gather more information, we might go, hey, this is standard after all. We do know this and pop back into the standard process. Or it could be unfamiliar where we gather our information. We've got our information and we're looking at it and we're going, no, we haven't seen one of these before, right? It's like a new disease that a doctor strikes. Oh, you know, we've got enough information, but we still don't have an answer. And, and so we've got to apply experts to resolving the answer. But we're still in an incident, right? We're still in an incident. We're still trying to restore service. So this, this so for the people who are listening who might not have all the background the three of us do in, in your book, standard in case doesn't replace incident problem, incident problem management. It doesn't, it doesn't do any of that. It just it, it augments the work for both the presenter of the request or, or problem and the acceptor of the request or problem with a new set of skills to think about. Do I route this through something that is standard? Precisely. Okay, so it, it's not trying to replace those things. Okay. Yeah, we're trying... It's just saying, let's think about how we do incident problem in a different way. And it's saying, ISIL mostly, and service management in general, mostly talks about the standard side of things. Not 
100%, but mostly. Yep. And let's talk more about the case side of things. And let's and we're doing case now, right? So as Troy said, we branch off into this fuzzy cloud and we deal with it, but we're doing it in an informal way that our reporting doesn't recognise that it... And standard in case gives us the formal way in the case part of it to actually do this. It's important yeah. to say yeah. that we're not just foregoing process when we suddenly enter this case um, moment, right? Correct. It's not like you, know, you used to say when you had them urgent change, let go all process and just get it done, you know, damn the torpedoes. It's just the process is a much higher level. Uh, you're running by policy, by checklist, by by general concept, and you're still having accountability and checkpoints, but it's, you're given a lot more latitude to go any direction yeah, correct. in this conversation. And, and, and that's the important thing right there, because accountability is very important uh, to Troy and I, or it's important, Troy mentions it to me a lot, and with one of the places we fall down on service management, the lack of accountability. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we talked about it last show. And I, to, your, to your point, Rob, earlier, you said, you know, and someone gets stopped around the head because we have all these non-standard uh, issues, which, again, is if you pull it back farther, what you basically said was there's no accountability. Right there's there's all this stuff that you know people are getting beat up. Why don't we have all these un unresolved non-standard incidences? And this lends a level of process, and I would dare say a level of credibility and accountability to making that not so harsh because it's not as simple as it looks. Would that be unfair? Go back to the detective thing there, um, because we no, all no, because that got me in trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. There are there are detectives which go by the book and run according to the case law and case management philosophy. But the ones that you see on the, on the movies, Dirty Harry, and always they're all, they're the ones that buck the you know the system and they go off and on the deep end and they basically kind of disconnect from their team. That's not case management. Yeah, because what makes all those movies great is at the end you don't know whether the the investigator is going to get fired or get a medal. Mm. Yeah, so yes and no to that, right? So a couple of, I want to unpack a couple of things quickly there. Yeah. Um, one is the word process, right? So let's use the word practice because yes. process in the strict sense of a sequence of steps that you follow, a workflow, yes, we are abandoning that in case. There is no process in the sense of you do this, then this, then this, then this. There is a practice still. There are still rules you have to follow. There's policy you have to comply with, as you said, Troy. And we, we in fact, control. So we, we let the caseworker loose in a paddock, right, in a field. We say, anywhere in here, you can do any of the following things in any order, and these are your limits, your bounds, your rules, or what you can't do. Mm. But within the, this, do whatever you need to do to get the thing solved, and do it in your own way, playing to your own skills, right? Mm. So we allow different caseworkers to do things in different ways, according to their own personal skills, and we actually value diversity because from diversity we learn the best ways so that when we do get an opportunity to standardise these things later, we're picking amongst the caseworkers, we're learning from them to find the best ways. So if Dirty Harry gets things resolved with a 45 Magnum, as so long as he stays within policy, so long as the policy says you're allowed to go and shoot people, which, by the way, in the 1860s, he was allowed to do right, <laughs> so that was within policy for a law for a law officer in the eighteen sixties, right? Policies change. Said, let it let just be said that the American didn't use the gun reference once, and the guy from New Zealand and the guy from Canada did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but talking about an American model, so um, oh, there you go. I need to throw it back there. So, right. so. You know, that was within policy within the 1860s, and sometimes it seems like it might still be within policy now to go and, right, that, that 
that you can go and resolve the issue with a gun. But if policy says you can't, then sure, you slap the caseworker for doing that because they stepped outside policy. So, But there's no process and we do allow diversity. This is really critical to me. We do allow diversity so that we can learn from it. And and so a lot of these, you know, one of the things I wrote about just recently is, is you know, hey, we can learn everything we need to know from manufacturing. And, and, and I'm saying, no, we can't. Only in the standard world do all those sort of lean and and, and, and other things like that work. Well, that goes back to episode 19 that I was trying to talk about earlier because, you know, Troy teaches me so much on these shows. It's like I had never realized that about manufacturing. I, I, I want to do something uh, kind of uh, out, not really out of left field, but just for those who uh, are listening to the show who haven't heard of Rob's book yet but uh, are thinking about it, there's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of concepts that are being thrown around in the last five years. I just want to read some of the things that you'll find in this book by giving you some words out of the table of contents. Do you guys mind if I take 30 seconds and do that? Because I think this will really, really open people's eyes up. So uh, a new paradigm, standard models, falling off the page, case management, adaptive, human interaction management, yin-yang, synergy, benefits, risk, scope, policy monitoring, service management case, standard case, service levels, incident problem change request, DevOps, development, people, knowledge workers, behavior, empowering the customer, empowering the worker, transparency, success, utilization, accreditation, gamification, career in response, development, empowering the user, practice, methods, case process, collaboration, maturity, architecture, policy, models and notions, software tools, owners, customers, business cases, resources. That's part of the table of contents. It's, it's a, it's a must-read. Yeah, it's a must read. I, I, this is a manifesto of everything you've been watching, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. And, you know, none of it's my ideas. It's all a synthesis of what I've seen and heard. And, and you know, my only contribution, I think, is, to, is that little click, is to put the standard and case together and say, hey, they meet up like, you know, something out of a movie. They go click together to give you this yin and yang model of how you can deal with everything. And one of you know we haven't even started to talk about all those people implications of this the the career and, we could do you know, we could do four wow. shows on the book I read the book um, and it was one of the books I actually read cover to cover that should say something I don't do that very often these days but the reality is he says some things in there that make your your head scratch and there's there's the big light bulb moments as well but one thing you said in there um, about major incidents and how because we've never seen these before we should really treat them as cases and I get that. But then you make the comment, and we really shouldn't have an SLA for resolution because we don't know how long it's going to be before we resolve. And I'm going, oh my gosh, that's probably the opposite mm. thinking that everyone in the industry is focused on. Because if there's any SLA out there, it's going to be uh, resolve priority or severity one incidents within X number of hours, 80% Absolutely. of the time. That's the one measure that you get. And you're, you're basically declaring that shouldn't really be, and it's not logical. It isn't logical. That's the fireman's conundrum. Look, that 16-storey apartment block is on fire. How long is it going to take you to put it out? Ah... Uh... I don't know. <laughs> as long as it takes us. Well, well, you, well, and, and that can, that's a perfect example because you have to protect the property, protect first, protect the people, mm. the second, protect the block because if you put it out too quickly, it falls over in the building mm, next to it. Mm, mm. Uh, it. It is, and the idea that you have to have uh, a, a, a SLA around that and not consider things that you can't 
possibly see is ridiculous. So I'm actually, I understand, Troy, what you're saying, but I actually have always believed it was kind of outrageous to even try to define some of those things. Uh, I get it logically. It's how do you sell it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I sell it through something we used to call 10 years ago reality, but most people don't live there anymore. So I uh, I talked to that a bit in the latest version of the book, Troy, about how you sell it. That's right, because we were talking about that during the uh, pre-release. Yeah, I'm getting every, uh, I'll send it everybody a copy of the book that I talked to. Actually, I sent a copy of the book out to uh, Gregory uh, Bayless Hall out in the UK. Gregory, if you listen to this show, tweet me and I'll send you a book. Rob, we're, we're running, gosh, we're, we could have done this show for days. Is there going to be a workshop or is there anything we can, someone can attend? I mean, I've seen you talk about this. You know, is there plans to do a workshop? Is there plans to create material? Is there plans to teach this in any way other than the book? I mean, is there something we can look forward to? Yep. So I'll be at TFT 13 and and SDI talking about it uh, and other conferences. I'm running the first workshop at the Swiss conference next week. So there is going to be a workshop. Yeah, I'm doing a three-hour workshop at the Swiss conference. It'll be like the pilot for it. And then I'll be running it again as opportunities present going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll think about some other resources, maybe some online videos or something going forward as well, depending on popularity and demand. That is amazing. I would, I'm, Troy, wouldn't you go to this? I'd go to this class. It's something that any of the ITSM and people in our world, they need to get exposed to this because it, it fills in the gaps that we have struggled with for years. It's, it's the paper version of practitioner radio. <laughs> yeah. No way. Right. No way. No way. This is one no. point idea. Practitioner radio is this bucket, this cornucopia of fabulous models and ideas. I am not worthy to be considered in the same. Whatever. We, we love it. It's one of those things you can read on a plane trip to, you know, California. Give it, give yourself a couple hours with this book and, you're, and you've got what you need. Yeah, I kept myself yeah. to 100 pages. I disciplined myself on these things. And just like in practitioner radio, it's disciplined to 30 minutes. So, <laughs> uh, where, where can we find, uh, Troy, you, you're, you're, you're going to be rolling around the country here real soon. Where can we find you? Well, August in Arizona. What a place to go. August 12 and 13 is our leadership forum, and that's going to be a great event as well. So, Pink Elephants Leadership Forum, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and that's August 12, 13. 12, 13. So check that out. You can find information about that. Uh, Pink Leadership Forum. You can Google that. Go to pinkelephant.com. You can find it there. You'll see Troy there. Uh, uh, Rob, we can find you at uh, TFT. You said you're going to, you've got a session. You wrote it in, I think. Yep. Um, and then you're going to be at the SDI conference. Yeah. Correct. Switzerland next week, SDI later in the month in Birmingham. And then uh, uh, Australian conference in August. Yay. Always love the Aussie one as well. So you can find Rob in Switzerland, uh, in Birmingham, the UK, and then in Canberra, uh, Australia over the next 60 to 90 days. And me, you can find me anywhere. Um, Rob, we have a tradition at the end of the show. Uh, it's kind of a weather weather report of sorts. Uh have you? Uh, do you have any idea what I'm going to do next, Rob England? Oh, I have a vaguest idea. Go for it, man. <coughs> it's time for Rob England's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day! And that tip would be stop pretending that the world can be standardised because people and systems won't, and we have to deal with both the standard and non-standard sides of the world. Thank you so much. And two of my absolute mentors as both friends and peers and colleagues, Roy and Rob, thank you so much. It was amazing to be with you both today. And we'll see everybody in two weeks. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks.